So I was in a band called the McNugents. I was the drummer, and at times I played the electric guitar and sang a little bit. Now, that does not mean I'm a musician. That just means I was in a really bad band in high school, and I happened to be uh, one of the guitar players. So anyway, guys, we're going to be starting a new series tonight um, on real relationships. And I'm going to be diving into a topic that might seem a bit interesting. Uh, I'm going to talk about parenting. So I recognize that there are a lot of us in the room today who are not parents, uh, so just hang with us because I think uh, if a guy graces you with children someday down the road, maybe these will be some great tools you can put in your toolbox, and they can just be a few bricks in the foundation for what it looks like to be a godly parent. And if you have a big problem with the topic I'm teaching on tonight, please email Pastor Sam because he assigned it to me. So, um, but anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna just introduce myself again. My name is Isaiah. I have a wife, Amy, and three boys. I got a picture. Just to show you, uh, my crew, that's, this is my family, so I have the privilege of, of being parents to three boys. So on the, the right, my right, is uh, Noah. He's 15. He'll be a sophomore at Wasa East uh, this uh, upcoming fall. There next to him is my wife, Amy. We've been married 16 years this June. Titus is in the middle. He's 10. He's full of energy. And then on the far uh, left there is my uh, middle son, Elijah. He's 13. He's going into seventh grade. So my boys are bigger than I am now, which is a little bit scary to me, but I always try to let them know that I can always take them down because that's what a good dad does, right? So anyway, let's dive, in, let's dive into a talk for the night. Now, here's the thing about parenting. Parenting is full of adventure. It's, it's, there's surprises along the way, and you have an expectation of what you think parenting might be, but once you dive into parenting and you have your first child and then your second and then, in my case, your third, there's, there's so many adventures you never thought would, would even be real in your life. So I like to think of it this way. I like to think of parenting much like the Lewis and Clark expedition. If you're familiar with Lewis and Clark, in 1805, they were tasked with the, the, the journey and the expedition of discovering the Northwest Territory and as, as well as the Louisiana Purchase. Now, when they set off on their journey, they ran into something that they could not have imagined, did not plan for. In their quest to discover the northwest part of the United States, discover this region, they ran into what we know now as the Rocky Mountains. Now, they thought they could just sail on the Mississippi all the way west and have no issues at all. But, of course, that was not to be the case. And nothing could have prepared them for what they were about to encounter in uh, the area of the Rocky Mountains. They were in for a very difficult journey. And the mountains that they, that they saw, it, it just totally depleted their resources. But through all of this, they led their team through this most challenging part of their journey. During their course through the mountains, they encountered some very imposing obstructions. It would test their patience, it would test their fortitude, and it would test their intellect. Additionally, these challenges would also render them hungry, sleep-deprived, devoid of connection and community, and wondering at what point does the journey become easier. Now, as a parent, I resonate with that. Because at times, as a parent, it's, it, it, you're, you're tired and you're hungry and you just want to find some kind of adult connection because you're, you're you've had enough of talking to your three-year-old that day and wondering when, at what point does the journey become easier. Well, I now have kids outside of diapers, and it's still a little bit hard. It's just a different kind of hard. Or we shift back to the Lewis and Clark team. At some point, they were even wondering, is the journey even worth it? And for the sake of everyone on the expedition, thankfully, 
they ran into some Native Americans who helped them along their journey. They provided encouragement, they provided education and nourishment for the journey. And without these Native Americans helping them along the way, they no doubt would, would not have survived that trip. So for three months, they, they received this from the Native Americans. They journeyed through the Rocky Mountains and had perseverance, resiliency. There were good days, bad days, tiring days, hungry days, doubtful days. But at the end, Lewis and Clark discovered what was on the other side of the mountains. Eventually, they discovered the Pacific. In many ways, parenting is a lot like embarking on a cross-country journey where you have no idea what to expect, what you might encounter. Nor do you fully realize the enormity of the journey of parenting. In many ways, parents are just like Lewis and Clark. As I said, there's good days, bad days, tiring days, doubtful days. Wondering if, am I even going to make this parenting thing alive? Like, and can I keep the three kids I'm responsible for alive through this entire time? Because that's a challenge even of itself. But as you continue to lead, as you continue to pour in to your children, you realize, you start to understand, you know, this is bigger than just the here and the now, these 18 or so years that your children are under your authority. This is much bigger, much larger, leading into their future. Because really the ultimate goal of parenting is training and teaching our kids to look more like Jesus. So this, this is formative for what their whole life may be like. And we have to be encouraged that as we're developing our children to be like Jesus, we are creating, developing, molding, shaping world changers. So we're going to spend some time looking through a passage tonight in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. And in our text tonight, Paul is, is talking to a church. Now, I know that might seem a bit awkward, like, why are we talking about parenting and also examining a letter to a church? Doesn't that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Well, I think this text teaches us a whole lot, actually, because it interacts with the condition and the motives of our heart. And when it comes to parenting, it's really all about the condition of the heart. It's pointing our children to Christ, interacting with their heart, why they do what they do, how we can redirect that with Scripture, with the Holy Spirit. And so not only is this talking about our child's heart, it's talking about our own hearts as well. In addition to this, this is an application passage. So really what Paul does here is he's going to be rapid fire. So Paul, I kind of get the sense that Paul had a lot to say and not a lot of time. Because he just begins to rattle off one thing after another. It's boom, 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 into the letter. And so we see a lot of application. We're going to see a lot of do's. Do this, do this, do this. We're going to see a couple of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this. This is kind of the rhythm of Paul in, in this section of the letter. And so the time that we have together, it's going to be really practical. There's not going to be a ton of deep theological lesson here tonight. But I want to get very, very practical because I think this is what Paul does in the text. Now, there's some depth there. There's some handles on this, but it's going to be really, really practical for us today. And so let's dive into our text, and then we will get into our lessons today. So this is going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. This is what Paul writes. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, this is where Paul starts to go rapid fire here, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays e anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. 
Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So you can see how rapid fire Paul is. He's just, he is just shooting off application after application, imperative after imperative. This is what Paul is doing. And so for our time together, there's, there's about 16 different things that Paul tells us to do or not do. I'm going to look at 12 of them. So I have a 12-point sermon tonight. So please don't worry. This is not going to be two hours long. All right? I, actually, I actually went to a young adult and I said, hey, I have a 12-point sermon. What do you think about this? And she said, man, we're listening to, we, we listen to Sam and Andrew. You, you're good. Like, you are golden. Do what you need to do. So I'm going to teach a 12-point sermon because this is what Paul does in the text. And so, again, he's writing this letter, this text, to a church. But really, it could have been written to anyone. So the, the Thessalonian church, by all accounts, was a pretty solid church. But just like any other church, even if it's healthy, there are some pressure points that Paul is really encouraging them to avoid and just be aware of. One of those things that Paul talks about in, in context is persecution. Particularly, they were being persecuted by the Judaizers, those of Orthodox Jewish tradition, those of us that had placed their faith in Christ, that was, that was rubbing these Judaizers the wrong way. So persecution was a reality for them. So one of the common themes you, you see throughout this letter is this idea of persecution and peace, as, as well as encouragement to make it through. So this is why Paul says, church Thessalonians, live at peace with everyone, even those who may be persecuting you. In addition to persecution and peace and uh, you know, this encouragement to really that facilitates that, he also has a call for endurance. This endurance, this message is really from the perspective of the end times. So Paul's encouraging them by sharing a little bit about what the day of the Lord will look like and live with anticipation for the time when Jesus comes back. Be encouraged. Have endurance because Jesus is returning. Just know that. So he's encouraging them for, of the imminent return of Jesus, knowing that at, at any moment Christ could come back and all this will be over. And then Paul also encourages them by letting them know that they are secure in Christ. So if we were to dive into a study of 1 Thessalonians, those are some of the major themes we see throughout the text. And then we get to chapter 5. And now Paul is like, okay, I've, I don't have a lot of time. I'm, I'm going to give you some application real quick. And with that in mind, let's just hop into point one. These are 12 lessons that we can teach our kids and 12 ways we can grow as a godly parent that we see in the text. One is this. Teach your children to work hard and submit to authority. Teach your children to work hard and submit to authority. See, the first point that we see in the text, particularly in verse number 14, Paul writes, admonish the idol. Now, this actually carries with it a couple of different meanings. What Paul is actually saying here is that really two things. First of all, anyone who's not pulling their fair weight, if they're not working as hard as they could be, let's warn others against that. Let's warn against laziness. Let's encourage a good, solid, godly work ethic. In addition to that, not only does idol mean laziness or guarding against laziness, it also means to not be unruly or insubordinate. So I, I, again, so Paul is teaching this church to hold one another accountable to be hard workers and also submit to authority. I think it's a great lesson to teach our kids, especially for, for, for my situation. Three boys, I want to teach my boys to be hard workers. I think it's great. Let's teach all of our kids. Because if our children desire to make good names for themselves and have an honorable reputation, then it must be, uh, they must be children who are going to work hard and also submit to the authority that's over them. Now, first, it's submitting to the authority of mom and dad. Because I think if we can teach our children to submit to the authority of mom and dad, then they may be trained to have respect for 
coaches and teachers and advisors and supervisors of some kind later on in life. So at a very early age, I think it's so wise for us to teach our children. We want to work as hard as we can. We want to work unto the Lord. And we want to submit ourselves to the authority that is over us because this is the way God has designed it. Mom and dad have authority over child. You know, an employee has authority with a supervisor. That We teach them these different authoritarian structures so that they can submit and honor those authorities well. I think that's critical for children. So Paul says, admonish Seattle, teach our children to work hard and submit to authority. The, the next point that we have, the next lesson we want to teach our kids are, are, is this. Encourage them to grow in their walk with Christ. Encourage them to walk with Christ more and more closely every single day. Paul says, encourage the faint-hearted. That's what he writes to the church. Keep in mind, Paul is writing to a congregation where persecution would have been a reality for them. You know, the, the pressure to renounce their faith and just walk away altogether to preserve life, that would have been a reality for them. So Paul is encouraging this church, encourage one another, encourage the faint heart, walk closer and closer to Christ. Stay strong in the faith. It's such a critical lesson to teach our kids, walk closer and closer to the Lord. Oh, what, a, what a great lesson. Because one of the things you quickly realize as a parent especially the older your, your child gets, is there are going to be things that just bombard their hearts to lead them away from the faith in Christ. There, there are spiritual missiles that are fired at their heart every single day. It could be friend groups, it could be teachers, it could be books that they're reading. You know, for my kids, it's, it's YouTubers or podcasts or specific games. There are so many things that, that will just try to attempt to derail their faith. There's no shortage of that. And as parents, it's our responsibility to continue to share the power of the gospel with our kids to allow them and facilitate growth in their walk with Christ. In addition to to you or or your spouse doing this or or other family members, I think it's having other individuals, maybe it's a G180 leader or a teacher or a coach, come around them and be a positive influence for them. Share faith lessons with them. I was reminded the importance of this uh, just the other day when I showed you a picture of my oldest son, Noah, who's a soft, will be a sophomore uh, this upcoming year at Wasa East, and he, he plays football. He, he loves to play football, so he's in the gym every day. He's got a great relationship with the coaches, and uh, the, head, the head varsity coach uh, saw Noah in the hallway and was like, hey, Noah, great to have you on the team. So glad you're a part of this. And he's like, hey, by the way, you never told me that your dad was a pastor at Highland and, and your mom works there as well. So my, my wife works at Highland as well as the accountant. And he's like, you got to tell me stuff like this, man. We are brothers in Christ, and brothers in Christ have to stick together. And by the way, Noah, we have an FCA program. I think you need to be a part of that. Now, that was, that was, that was really cool because Noah came. I, I picked him up from practice, and he was just excited. I'm like, man, what's, what's going on, man? You got a smile on your face. He's like, Dad, you got to listen to what the coach told me today. You know, he's, he knows that we're believers. Like, brothers got to stick together. We got to have a brotherhood in Christ. Now, what happened in that moment is my son took a step closer to Jesus that day. His faith was re-energized. It had nothing to do with me. But there was a, a man in his life that was willing to speak faith into him, and it drew him closer to Jesus. I think fostering those communities for our kids where they can grow in their walk with Christ is critical. And again, that's just one example. There are other examples that I could speak of where people just poured into him. But it's putting them in places where they can be encouraged particularly when they are faint-hearted, as Paul said here. So we want to teach our kids to grow closer in their walk with Christ. 
Let's move on to, to, to lesson number three. Let's support our kids through weaknesses. That's, that's lesson number three. Support your kids through weaknesses. Uh, again, Paul shares with this group to help the weak. Again, it's double meaning here. Because not only is it implying those who are physically weak, but those who are also spiritually weak. You know, when, when they saw someone struggling in their faith, they were mandated to help one another. And the same is true with our kids. We must support them through their weaknesses. Here's the reality. This is hard for me as a, as a dad, but our children are going to have weaknesses in their life. There's going to be certain proclivities that they have towards certain sinful behaviors. Now, as, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, and as their father, I cannot affirm the sinful choices that they make. But I want to be there to support them through it, help them through it, lead them through it. I want to be the type of person that if my child makes a bad choice, which has happened in the past, they're not scared to tell me. I think we need to be parents where we can be safe spots for our children to land. And that takes a concerted effort of building a relationship of trust and safety. Because if we can't be a safe spot for our kids to land when they make a bad choice, they're going to land somewhere else. We want to make sure that that's a safe spot for them. That's the support I'm talking about. It's looking at them and saying, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't agree with this lifestyle. Here's what scripture says about where we're going. But here's how we can move past this. How can I help you overcome this issue? You know, who do we need to talk to? Is there a G180 leader, again, talking about my specific context, is there a G180 leader that can come around you? Is there another man that can build into you? Let's, let's move through this by, by looking at what Scripture says and moving past this in a godly way. That's, that's supporting them through it. As parents, we want to be a place of stability and support when, for our kids when they are weak. And, and that's going to happen at some point. And I feel like this really leads to, to point number four really well. To be patient with your kids. Be patient. I think that's critical. Now, this may be the toughest imperative to obey because it's easy to be patient when our kids are faithful and strong. That's, that's super easy. But it's much harder when they are weak and maybe unfaithful to the Lord. You know, Paul had, had administered to enough people, enough church people, to know that patience is required for the job especially for the one who is doing the ministering. We, we have to have patience. I think it's also required in parenting because here is the reality. At various times, your kids are going to push every single button you have, and they will test every last ounce of energy that you possess as well as your patience. They will zap it in the blink of an eye if you're not careful. Mark, mark my words. And you will not have the mental fortitude to, to have patience when those moments arrive if you've not been praying for it in advance. Because when, the, when your buttons are being pushed and your patience is running low, that's when the snaps begin to happen and the angry outbursts begin to occur because patience has not been there. So we need to be asking for patience prior to those moments because they will inevitably come. Here, here's the reason I think this virtue is so important, whether you're a church member or you're a parent. Because this is completely, it completely reflects the heart of God. Think about the patience of God towards us. You know, God has displayed his love and patience towards us when we were at our very worst. Think about our moments of rebellion. Maybe the secret things that no one else knows about, just you and the Lord. And think about the patience that God has extended towards us. Think about the nation of Israel. Man, it's a cycle of patience and rebellion and God bringing judgment and God restoring them. And then this whole cycle starts over again for, for millennia, like forever. Like that's the nation of Israel. But God's patience was manifest all throughout his patience is reflected all throughout Scripture. So if God is going to extend that patience and model that for us, let's model that for our children as well. 
And while these four are directed at those who are hurting, you'll notice that the next couple have to do with those that maybe they've hurt. So let's just dive into this. This is, this is lesson number five. Let's teach our kids to do good even when it's hard. Teach our kids to do good even when it's hard. Now, in the context of this church, Paul is teaching them that vengeance only belongs to the Lord. Therefore, when someone hurts you or sins against you, don't seek vengeance. Now, this is going to be critical in the hearts of our children as well. Because, I mean, what's, what, what's, what's like the most popular superhero series out there right now? It's, it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? It's all based on people taking revenge for something that happened. Right? And our kids are buying into it. So what happens is we say, well, well, Tony Stark, man, he got upset. He just put some Iron Man suits on and he blew people away. And that's what our kids are like. No, we can't. Listen, we cannot take vengeance on these guys, right? We want to show them love, do good to them, even when it is hard. Because here's the reality. People are going to sin against our kids. As parents, that's hard. So as parents, I, we would have to step back and say, okay, now I want to go all hawk on this person here, but I can't do that, right? I, I have to show them good even when it's hard. So I, I, again, I'm not saying that we need to teach our kids to be doormats and, and we, are, we are acceptant of bullying. Like, bullying is not okay. We're, we're, we're clear on that. But it's teaching them that man is fallen. We are fallen. And just as God has chosen us, chosen to show us grace in Christ, let's try and show grace to others as best as we can. This means that our children, just as us, we're going to fight our fleshly tendencies while being strong enough to act when it's appropriate. Because we're going to want to take vengeance at different times. We have to realize this is not what God's called us to. We may have to, we may have to be called into action at various times, but we don't want to repay evil for evil. That's what Paul says. And really, that leads us to point number six, lesson number six, which is teach your kids to seek to do good to everyone. So do good when it's hard and do good to everyone. This is what Paul is saying. Now, this is a lesson I'm consistently teaching my three boys. Always do good. Always seek to do good. Now, all three of my boys play basketball at a pretty high level. And in the midst of competition, things can get pretty heated. You know, elbows can be thrown uh, you know, people are being pushed down. Your calls from the referee don't go your way. That all just kind of builds some angst in your life. And I've seen each, each of my three boys. Now, my, my youngest son's Titus. He played fourth grade ball. I saw the intensity as a fourth grader as much as I've seen it as my son who was playing JV ball last year. Like, it was just intense. And anytime I see, like, this vengeful side come out in them, that never really sits well with me. I, I want them to do good even when it's hard. So, after a game, I, I see this. I have a post-game conversation. I always have a follow-up. I'm not degrading. I just like to talk about, hey, what happened during that play? So we talk about the platform that they have. So I say, bud, you have 100 people or more watching what you're doing right now. I always talk about who you really play for. Your, your jersey might say Wallace East, but that's not who you really play for. You understand that, right? You're, you're representing something much greater than the city of Wausau. Let's talk about that for a second. And I want you to do good when it's hard. I know you want to push that kid back, but let's restrain ourselves. Let's do good even when it's hard. I want to show them to show grace to others even when it's hard. Now, that becomes a lot easier when my heart is fixed on Christ and when my children's hearts are fixed on Christ. But I want to teach them to do well. Now, you'll notice the first six that we just mentioned has everything to do with how they're interacting with other people. This is how you interact with others. Right, the first six, 
do good to everyone, seek to show grace to everyone, don't repay evil for evil. We, we see they're all geared towards other people. The next three that Paul lists in the text is totally internal. This is how they're in, like, kind of working through some things internally. This kind of leads to point number seven, which is teach your kids to be joyful. This has everything to do with what's happening inside of their heart. And I really love this part of the text. Paul says rejoice always. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's easy to understand. It can be really difficult to apply, but it's the, the concept is, is very, very simple. But, you know, as parents, we have to understand there's going to be a couple things that happen to our children's heart. Two things. The world will do everything it can to rip the joy of the Lord from their heart and replace that with something else. Those are the two things that's going to try. It's just going to happen. I'm going to rip the joy from the Lord away, replace it with something else. So we want to teach our kids to have joy in the Lord. And so you're thinking, well, that's great. That's great. Isaiah. We want to teach our kids to have joy, but how do we practically do that? How do we teach someone to have joy in the Lord? Well, I think there are really three things that we can do to teach our kids to have joy in the Lord and even ourselves. First visit, we want, we want to teach them to celebrate with others. Teach them to celebrate with others. What selfless Christian joy looks like is seeing the good fortune of others and celebrating with them. Have you ever had a situation where it's good happening to someone else? You thought, man, that just really kind of makes me mad. I can't believe they're succeeding. I think if we're all honest, we've had at least a level of that in our own heart. If I'm truly honest, I've definitely had that. I can't believe they're succeeding. But what would it be if I would just celebrate with them? You know, God has shown favor in this area of their life. He's given them good gifts. I'm going to celebrate with them. That brings joy into our life. So replacing the bitterness and the anger or whatever emotion we feel, let's celebrate with them. I think that brings joy to our life. I think the second thing we can do is surround them with other believers. Again, I mentioned G180 or other, any number of people that are walking with Christ can pour joy into them. Those who are joyful in their salvation of Christ tend to exude a contagious joy, and it motivates other people, and it will definitely motivate our kids. Now, this doesn't mean that all the friends our children choose were going to be believers. In fact, some of them are not going to be believers. But we have to have people who will share Christian joy in their life, much like the football coach did with my son, Noah. It totally changed his trajectory for that day. We want to surround them with other believers. And I think the third thing we can do is just laugh. Just laugh. Can I just give everyone a piece of advice? Don't take yourself too seriously. Like, laugh a little bit. Have some fun with your kids when that time comes. You know, one of my favorite memories that I had with my boys is when we were playing um, PlayStation 4. We were playing a game called Gang Beasts. Anybody ever played Gang Beasts before? A few, a few of us? Man, I love that game so much. Now listen, the first time I played this game, this was maybe a year ago. So if you're not familiar, Gang Beasts is kind of like a WWE Royal Rumble or Super Smash Bros. So you're trying to like throw people out of the arena and you're, the idea is to be the last man standing. But with Gang Beasts, you're not, pe- you're not a human. You're like this, remember, so if you go to a used cars, car lot, the big inflatable guy that's kind of blowing in the wind, that's who you are. But you're trying to throw other people out of the arena. So there's four of us playing, and we're kind of attacking each other, and we're just trying to throw. Now listen, I laughed so, I, was, I had tears streaming down my, I was laughing so hard that I was crying. My boys were laughing so hard. They were, it was one of the best memories that I have with my Boys, we talk about it even to this day. Gang Beast was so awesome. I think we need to teach our kids to laugh, find some joy. Like Those are gifts of God that we can use to bring joy in our hearts. And most importantly, I think we need to teach our children that joy is rooted ultimately, supremely in Christ. 
Happiness is totally circumstantial. It's built totally on circumstance. Joy is, is rooted in Christ. It's internal. It's flowing from his presence, from his spirit living in us. I want to teach them to find fulfillment, true joy in Jesus. And that's only found in Christ. So Paul says, hey, Thessalonian church, it's tough. It's hard. Rejoice always. Then Paul goes on to tell uh, uh, the second thing about internally, you know, kind of living life well. And that's, that's our eighth lesson is this. Teach your kids to pray. Teach your kids to pray. Paul says pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. That's what Paul says. Meaning we are to be a people that make it a habit of calling out to God in prayer. Let's, let's call out to God in prayer. Prayer is not something that we should be doing when times are tough or when we gather to eat. I mean, we, we want to pray in both of those moments. But we want to be marked as a people that is a lifestyle for us. We, it's a, prayer is a, is a worship act every single day for us where we are speaking to God as if everything depends on him because in reality it does it depends on God it's a great lesson to teach our children to have complete dependence on God and I think when we teach our kids to pray that's exactly what we teach our children that if you want to have success in life it's not measured by you know worldly standards money in the bank the promotion the title you have the initials after your name that's not what defines success it is are you depending on Christ are you walking close with him and prayer teaches them to have complete dependence on Christ. It's not relying on their own willpower, but on the power of powers Jesus. It's teaching that it's also a discipline, that prayer is not easy. Prayer can be quite difficult. Now, I understand that people are, are spiritually gifted to pray, and they, they do that really, really well. But, but even that, because of our sinful nature, there are times we want to pull away from that gift. Thinking, you know, I, I can handle this on my own. I, I have the intellect. I've been trained for this, right? I'm going to use my training and my experiences. That's what is going to get me through. But really, we need, we need to pray for the power to give us guidance in those things. We don't want to pull away. We want to lean into that. So we must teach them that unceasing prayer is the language that we have been given to communicate with our Heavenly Father. So let's pray. Let's teach our kids to pray. Let's model that for them. And along with prayer, Paul also teaches them and teaches us, and what we can teach our children is to teach our kids to give thanks. Teach our kids to give thanks. That's number nine. And one of the ways we teach our boys this is we want thankful hearts, not greedy hearts. Thankful hearts, not greedy hearts. So we want to teach our sons to be men who are grateful for the gifts that God has given to them rather than feel entitled for more. See, if my boys can be thankful for the gifts of God, then they are more likely to see God as their ruler of their lives and not themselves. Think about God has gifted me with so much rather than, man, I have created so much. See, literally, when we, when we kind of swap those roles, we become our own sovereign rather than God. So I want my boys to be grateful and thankful for what God has given them because then they see God as supreme and God as ruler, not themselves. So I want to teach our kids to give thanks. You know what? I want to model that for them. I think as parents, we need to model gratitude for them. I want to set the pace, and we as parents should be setting the pace for them in gratitude. That's not always easy. At times, it's, it's easier to be greedy than grateful. It's, it's easier to be crabby than content. It's easier to be these things. And I want my deep-rooted faith in Jesus to set the tone in gratitude. So let's teach them to give thanks. Right? So Paul says, hey, three, three things. Be joyful, rejoice in the Lord, be people of prayer, be grateful, give thanks. See how it's more internal. So we see how, how 
The first six are geared towards others. The second three are geared more internally. Now we get to the last three, the last section, it's geared more spiritually. And where Paul was before giving us some to-dos, now he's giving us some don'ts. So we'll see the first thing that Paul says is don't quench the spirit. So lesson number 10 that we see is encourage your kids to avoid extinguishing the fire, the spirit's fire in their life. Paul says don't quench the spirit. It's, it's how we interact with the spirit. Are we living in a way that is fueling the fire or extinguishing the fire? You know, above all else, the most important lesson we can teach our children is the gospel of Christ. That Jesus became a man, lived sinlessly among us, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again three days later, ascended to the Father, is interceding for us, and is coming back. That is the most important message that we can teach our children. Because, you know, part of the message of the gospel is the fact that the Spirit indwells us once they have believed in Christ the Savior, and he repeatedly fills us as we grow in our sanctification journey. And instead of living a life that douses the flame of the Spirit in our rebellion, we want to give them tools to keep that flame burning brightly in their life. How do we do that? How do we keep that flame burning brightly? I think one of the tools we already shared was pray. Paul says pray without ceasing. And the, the next thing we can do is actually our 11th point, which is teach your kids to honor God's word. Teach your kids to honor God's word. I think as, if we do that, we see the Spirit's flame burning brighter and brighter in our life. See, Paul says, do not deny prophecies. Now, when we hear prophecies, it's not talking about, in this context, future telling. It's, it's predicting a certain event that's going to happen. Rather, it's forth telling. It's meaning that one is, as one is expounding on God's Word, thinking about this through a specific culture and time and age and group, it's, it's God's Word transcending that and giving them lessons to glorify the Lord. And since the Bible is actually transcendent, it works for all cultures and all generations for all ages. So when one doesn't take God's word as truth, there's a quenching or an extinguishing that happens that occurs in our hearts towards God. It has nothing to do with the Father. It has nothing to do with Christ himself. It has anything to do with us. So we want to teach our kids to, to continue to kindle that passion for Christ. Take God's word seriously. Honor it. Treasure it. Be people of prayer. And if we are praying, we're growing, we're, we're not extinguishing the Spirit's fire, but we're cultivating that, we're allowing the fuel to, to grow in our heart, that allows us to do point number 12 really well. Point number 12 is this, teach your kids to run from evil. What did Paul say? Avoid evil. That was, that was the last thing he says in our, in our text that we read tonight. Avoid evil. That's essentially what Paul says. He says we don't, we don't despise prophecies, we're going to be pray. we're going to be praying, we're going to avoid evil. Because whether we're thinking about this at this point of our life journey or not, we know that there's an enemy that stands in direct opposition to what we believe and what we find valuable. So if we think, if we, if we believe something to be down, he'll say it's up. If we think it's up and we believe it's up, he says it's, it's down. If we believe it to be blue, he says it's the opposite of what blue is. Like it's direct opposition of what we believe, what we find valuable according to scripture. He stands in opposition to that. And that enemy would love nothing else than to impact the next generation away from Christ. That's, that's our kids. That's the next generation. So it's paramount that we teach them to run from evil. I, I'm reminded of Joseph when I think of this, the story of Joseph as he was in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife seduced him to try and sleep with him, and he ran as fast and as far as he could. Now, 
He still ended up in prison unjustly, but God used that, rose him to prominence in the land of Egypt, and he saved his family, saved the nation, essentially. So Joseph was, was blessed by God. He ran from evil. He, as fast and as far as he could go. We want to teach our kids to do the same thing. We want to reflect the love of God to others by, by living a life that says, I'm not turning towards evil, I'm turning towards Christ. But what happens when our kids do choose evil? What, what happens when they do make sinful choices or we make sinful choices? Because they're, they're going to. It's going to happen. I think we can do a couple things. Let me just encourage us to do a couple things when our children make sinful choices. Number one is keep the, keep the welcome mat out. Keep the welcome mat out. What I mean by that is let your children know that no matter what choices they make, it doesn't change how you love them. We want our children to know that no matter what choice they choose to, to do and the freedom that they choose to exercise, they always have the freedom and permission to share hard things with mom and dad. So let's keep, let's keep the welcome mat out, which, which leads to my second point. Don't overreact. Don't overreact. The, the more we overact as parents, the less likely our children will want to share hard things with us. You know, in times when they're sharing a hard truth, I think it's best just to, to listen gently respond, and then compassionately enter to where they are. Yes, we're going to have to discipline them. We might have to exercise some parameters in their life. That's not an overreaction. That's wisdom. We want to to do that when that is necessary. We're not going to affirm the sin in their life. We're going to try and lead them through that, but we're not going to overreact. See, an overreaction would be an angry outburst, or it would be shaming, or it would be using fear to motivate change. These don't provide long-term effects. It's like, it's like cutting the grass. That's what that is. So I cut the grass today. What happens next Monday? I have to cut the grass again. When we try to motivate change through behaviorism, it's, we have to cut the grass over and over. We had to pluck that up at the root. If I take the roots up of my grass today, what happens next week? I still don't have any grass. That's, that's, the, that's the heart of the issue. We're uprooting things in our heart. That's what we want to do with our children. And one of the best examples that I have of this is, is my own childhood, my, my dad. Now, my dad is an opposing figure. He's taller than I am. He's bigger than I am. He's more authoritative than I am. So as a teenager, I was a bit terrified of my dad when I made a mistake. Not his own fault. That's just his own personality. He's, he's a supervisor. He's been a leading in, in, a, in a factory for almost three decades. Like, he knows how to lead people, and he knows how to scare people. I was terrified of my dad. But in this moment, when I was 16 years old, I was leaving basketball practice, and I had my friend Cody with me. And if, if I'm being perfectly honest, I was trying to show off or impress my friend Cody. So I was flying down the, the driveway of the parking lot of the school, and there was a turn that kind of led to the highway, 421, which I took to get home and, went, and, and drop Cody off as well. So I was making the turn onto the highway. The back end of my dad's truck that I was driving swung around and crashed into the curb. And, like, we kind of, like, jostled around, ended up on top of the curb. Uh, everything seemed fine. I actually didn't get out and expect anything. And then I just got in the truck and started driving home. Well, about a minute later, Cody looks out the side mirror. And he says, Isaiah, you got something white sticking out of your tire, bro. You got to check this out. And so what happened was when I, when I hit the, the curb, the rim struck the concrete, and it ripped it back a little bit. So maybe, like, six or seven inches, eight inches was sticking out. So when I was driving down... It was like something was sticking out of my tire like this. And so, the, the, for, for, I mean, this must have been God's grace. No air was let out of the tire. When I got to my buddy's house, 
to actually change it, then all the air was, was removed from it. But we made it home on a, on a full air, air tire. It was pretty crazy. And so I'm terrified to tell my dad this because this is his truck. He's graciously let me drive it for, you know, for my purposes. And now I got to tell him that I, I wrecked it and I'm going to have to take care of this rim. And so this was a Saturday. So Sunday morning, he, he was at work. Sunday morning, I see him. He's getting ready. He's putting his tie on. I went to a church where he had to wear a tie. And I go up, I go up to him. I say, Dad, I got something to tell you. Like, I just want to be straightforward. I'm like, I'm sweating. I'm like hyperventilating a little bit. But I just got to tell you, Dad, I wrecked your truck. The rim is totaled. Um, and I just, I, I know you're going to see it. So I'm just going to be straightforward. I'm just going to tell you. That's exactly what I thought. Like, what's going to happen next? Because I just told this to my dad. Here's what my dad did. He started crying. He started crying. Not because he was upset. He started crying. He grabbed me in a big bear hug and said, thanks for telling me. I love you, Isaiah. That's how he responded. Like, that was the last way I thought he would respond. I thought, I thought the hammer was coming down. I was grounded forever. Like, that's what I thought. That is not what my dad did. What did my dad do? He kept the welcome mat out, didn't he? He, let, he gave me permission to share hard things. He gave me permission to share. This is super scary, but I'm going to share this anyway. He didn't overreact, and he welcomed me. And Now, there were some consequences. I was grounded from the truck. That it was just, right? I had to pay for a new rim. I was work, I, that was just. But how he responded, I'll never, ever, ever forget that. And I want to leave my boys the same way. Now, I know 12 points is, a, is quite the list. So let's recap. Then I'm going to pray. You guys, uh, I think, are dismissed. Uh, so... Oh, you'll be dismissed to small groups. So let me just recap. So 12 points on growing as a godly parent. Teach your children to be hard workers and submit to authority. Encourage your children to grow in their walk with Christ. Support your kids through their weaknesses. Be patient with your kids. Teach your kids to do good even when it's hard. Teach your kids to always do good to everyone. Teach your kids to be joyful. Teach your kids to pray. Teach your kids to give thanks. Encourage your kids to avoid extinguishing the Spirit's light, fire in their life. Teach your kids to honor God's word. And teach your kids to run from evil. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, so thankful for your word. God, it's so gracious of you to uh, entrust this, this book to us, to, li- to, to be able to live in a way that glorifies you. I pray that we do that well. And Lord, I know that most of us in the room may not be parents, but I pray these are just a few tools that we can put in our toolbox for later and grow as godly parents. And for those of us that are parents in the room, God, I pray that, that me personally, I just pray that I live this well. I'm so grateful how simple Paul made this. May I exercise this well in my own family, and may we all do that collectively here today. May we raise the next generation to love you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.